Sports Interaction is your place to go for everything going on this summer. And by the way, I know it seems like a little bit too early, but there's already picks on there for the NFL, including MVP, like who your guest would be, and who you think at this point is going to win the Super Bowl. It's the way too early pick, and you can check it out at sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Doing it right since 1997, Sports Interaction is Canada's sports book. With the most competitive odds, Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, easy to play, and easy to cash out. Join now and see that all that sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. That's sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. This is Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wild, powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Welcome to another episode, the last episode of Agent Provocateur for our first season. I'm Alan Walsh. I'm Adam Wild. Adam Wild. How are you, Adam? I'm good. I'm good. And, and, and it's important detail there. It's for our first season. Only our last episode for the first season. That's right. So I'm, we haven't really discussed it much between each other, but I'm in for a second season and got a lot of ideas on what to put out there and who to have on for the second year. And, and, uh, and I think at the end of the episode here, uh, obviously we'll, we'll go, we'll go back a little bit and talk about some of the things that happened over the course of this year, because it's been an eventful year. And I think what's special about this podcast is that it's different from your typical news cycle show, and it's different from uh, your your player, um, you know, your player focused podcast. This is this was the whole point was to have an agent's perspective on life, and uh, and here we go. So, Alan, I mean, listen, the reason we haven't been able to do a show for the last few weeks is because um, uh, you've been busy. I've been a little busy. <laughs> I got a list here. Can I go through this list for a second? Absolutely. Okay. So, and and if I miss anyone, please feel free to correct me. But let's let's talk about uh, changes of scenery, movement, new contracts. We've got Max Pacioretty, Jonathan Huberdeau, David Perron. Uh, uh, I believe Mark Andre Fleury resigned. Uh, you've got Jan Ruda on a new team. Yara Halak. Um, uh, you've got uh, Raska. Uh, uh, like the, it just goes on and uh, Louis Domingue, uh, Nathan Walker signed an extension. Martin Furk is now with the St. Louis blues. Uh, Matthew Highmore now with the St. Louis blues. Uh, our guy Boko Amonga got his, uh, extension with the Arizona coyotes. Legison's with the Carolina hurricanes after a couple days. Like I can keep going and going and going. Alan, have you ever had an off season like this? Um, I, I have, but, um, the, the difference this year is so many players uh, were on expiring deals or going into the last year of their deals, which made them a, a prime candidate to be traded. Right. right? Because r- right now with the cap the way it is, with so many teams at or even above the upper limit, it's it's very difficult for teams to um, sign new players without moving players that are already on their roster. And when that happens, there's a pinball effect that takes place around the league. You could almost do a, um, a, a tracing of, well, this move happened, which led to this move, which led to this contract signing which led to this move. Mm-hmm. And, and you can see that going on. Uh, as interesting as a July 13th and 14th was for fans, the most interesting part of it, and part of what can't really be discussed publicly, are all the trades that almost happened, which <laughs> fell through. Because right. literally... Every single GM I talked to on the 13th, and I, I, I think I talked to everyone in the league, also said some point in their call, I'm also working on a deal. And, and probably 95% of those discussions didn't actually result in a trade being pushed over the finish line, but many came close uh, with many big names that we'll never hear about right now, but 
I would venture to guess based on my own prior experiences that some of the deals discussed um, in July that almost got done will be revisited at or around the trade deadline. And there's lots of times trades happen at the trade deadline when you actually talk to the GMs about how the, the trade actually came down, you hear them say to me, well, we actually put most of that deal together in the summer. And for whatever reason, it could be a cap reason. It could be some other reason with players in another position. There's so many, every because every move um, is interrelated to everything else that, that operates on their team. It just didn't happen, but we had that deal, you know, sitting there and at the trade deadline, we executed on it. Right, right. And it's, I mean, is it fair to say busiest agent in the NHL? Like without, I know that puts you in an unfair spot, but I don't know of anybody else that had this many, uh, especially in the, the high profile names. These are, you're talking about absolute superstars either re-signing or being traded or signing somewhere else. It was a huge, a huge couple of weeks for you. It was a busy time. Yeah, it, was it was a busy time. time. So, and, and I'll, and I'll, I'll add to the um, last night yesterday was my 23rd wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. And wow. um, my wife and I, and, and, and my son went out for a nice dinner in Santa Monica at a, a favorite restaurant on the beach and we came home and uh, yeah, my wife and I had little gifts that we exchanged and we had cards that we exchanged. And uh, when I when I opened my wife's card, it, it, it wasn't a happy anniversary card. It was a sympathy card. And I was like, <laughs> like what's going on here? And, and she said, I can't find the anniversary card I bought for you. So the only stash of cards I have left in the house are sympathy cards. So she, <laughs> I love that. So she wrote a really nice, you know, really nice little story there. It was very nice, very heartfelt, but it was <laughs> with sympathies. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a good sense of humor. I th- that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, Welcome you know, to my life. Well, yeah. And, and I think you'd have to be right. Like Alan, it's, it's, uh, I'm sure she hasn't seen you much in the last couple of weeks. Um, so, so do we, do we get into this? Can I go player by player here? Like you haven't spoken on, on record about any of this. Um, uh, what's the best way to tackle it? What do you think? You got some questions fire okay. away. All right. So we'll start with the most recent. Um, and the, and to me, the most surprising Jonathan Huberdeau uh, traded to Calgary in the Matthew Kachuk deal. Uh, obviously, Mackenzie Wigger is a part of that and some other pieces. But, um, you know, he's heading into his last year, $5.9 million, sets the record, like NHL record for left wing assists in a season. He had 85 last year. He not, not only set the record, he blew the record out of the water. Um, fifth by, by 15 assists. By 15 assists. Fifth runner up in heart votes. Um, I mean, this guy is an absolute star and is a year away from contract, which is sort of what you mentioned. Um, and obviously he's been on television. He's done his interviews. He said he's open to staying in Calgary, but I, I want, I'm curious to get your perspective on that because honestly, before any of this happened, I would never have expected, expected Jonathan Huberdeau to be anything but a Florida Panther for at least the next eight years. And I think that was, um, most people's assumptions. Uh, and to be very honest with you, uh, I had a uh, very positive meeting with Bill Zito in Montreal at the draft um, the day before, went to his hotel suite, spent uh, an hour and a half sitting there. We talked a little bit about um, uh, a, a contract, but we didn't ever negotiate. We just talked about the timing and when I could expect uh, an offer. And he said, listen, 100% want to sign Jonathan. Um, obviously, he's our, our most important player. He's our MVP at a hell of a season. I, I love the guy. And um, 
you know, let's get through free agency the first you know week to 10 days and I'll send you something to get the ball rolling. And that's the way we left it. So imagine Jonathan's surprise getting a call at 11 p.m. on Friday uh, last week, uh, letting him know that um, thank you very much for everything, but you've been traded to Calgary. Now, I'm the first person to say it's a business. Mm-hmm. And somebody wrote uh, in the Calgary media, wrote an article about uh, Johnny Goudreau and, uh, you know, where was his loyalty to the team? And I responded to that in saying, we're, this is a business. Mm-hmm. And if you want to talk about loyalty to the team because a player left in free agency, it's entirely his right to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's entirely in Florida's right to trade anybody that they want to, given the trade restrictions that may or may not apply uh, in a given situation. If they're able to trade a player, it's their right to do that. So they didn't do anything wrong. But then I'm getting people saying to me, well, what about Florida's loyalty to, to Jonathan? He was drafted by them third overall. He played for them since he was 19. Um, he's uh, you know one of the leaders coming off a career season. And we can talk about all of that. But those are emotional discussions, right? Not business discussions. For whatever reason, Florida Panthers decided that they wanted to make this trade and they made it and that's their right to make it. Did they show in any particular loyalty to Jonathan? Did they give him a heads up? Did they contact us and say, Hey, listen, we're going to have to look at a trade. Are there any teams that you want to give us a list of teams you'd prefer to go to? You know, there was none of that. Hmm. And you could say, well, they should have done that. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to do that, you know, and and Calgary um, um, accepted the fact that there was no conversations with me or Jonathan before making the trade and had no idea whether he would be open to staying in Calgary or not. And he said yesterday, very publicly, very honestly, with no agenda, no agenda, Mm-hmm. Transparently, I am open in spending the next many years in Calgary. So he spoke it. I work for him. My job is to accomplish his goals, right? It's what he wants. And he is open to staying in Calgary. We'll see what happens from here. Wow. Well, and, and I'm sure for Calgary fans, Alan, uh, that was nice to hear. You know, you got two players who they, you know, invested a lot of time and a lot of years in, had given them a lot of good years who, you know, it is their right, but I can understand people being hurt by it. Uh, being a Toronto sports fan, uh, I've seen lots of stars walk out the door and right. and it, 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 it can sting. Sure. Uh, so it's probably really great to hear, hey, this guy just got here and he wants to stay. That's amazing. And, and um, I have to ask about Jonathan himself, though, because you mentioned it. Drafted there, third overall, playing for them since he was 19, expecting to talk extension at some point, either this summer or this fall. A um, lot of good friends, loves living there, and is usually a pretty, you know, from at least from our experience on the interview that when he was on the show, pretty happy-go-lucky guy. Um, how... How do you countenance a player when they're going through something like that? Because I'm sure for them, it's a bit of a surprise and stings a little. Well, I I think that um, whenever a player gets traded, there's an even when they know it's coming, there's an initial shock Mm. when they actually get the call. And and my experience is it takes 24 to 48 hours for the dust to settle a little bit and for the player to begin to process what's happened, right? So you go from shock Mm -hmm. to then saying, okay, this happened. And 
You can sit there and be hurt. You could sit there and feel sorry for yourself, or you can immediately say, I'm going to look forward. And, and what players generally do is they look to the future. It's like, it's, 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 it's a function of Gary's salary cap universe, his world, mm-hmm. that with a cap, especially a flat cap for several years, teams at or near the upper limit are being forced to move players. They would, in, in another um, system, um, maybe a luxury tax system, it would be a decision between do we want to spend the money, right. not we only have so much cap space available and we cannot get all these guys signed and keep them within our cap. Right. 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 So this is what Gary wanted. And it, it is, in my opinion, it's detrimental to the game. I think it's, Bad for hockey. Here, Florida is a market that has struggled for years to sell tickets. And now you've got a bona fide superstar, uh, one of the leaders of a team that won the president's trophy. And they're already forced, you know, not like Tampa that has two cups Mm -hmm. that has to now move several, you know, very good players or not resign them because they don't have the space. Now, now in Florida, you, we, we haven't won yet, had a, you know, a couple of successful regular seasons, and already they have to, you know, a player that identifies as, you know, a Florida Panther have to move on. Right. Um, that's, that's, the, that's one of the key reasons why I've been railing against the triple cap, hard cap, salary cap system, Gary's cap system since 2005. And that's the thing. I think the key, what you said there, Alan, is identifies as a Panther, doesn't know anything else, identifies as a Florida Panther. That's a major thing. And not a lot of players have said that in the NHL uh, in their history. So, uh, you know, it is, it's going to be a a boon for Calgary is going to be massively popular there. Um, but still tough to see. And, and for Florida fans that had invested so much, yeah, I'm sure they're excited about Matt Kachuk, but it's also one of those where you go, God, like, I really wish we didn't have to lose that guy. Of, of you know, on that track, and I think this actually dovetails perfectly, Max Pacioretty uh, with a surprise and underrated move, I think. You know, the reality is that, that um, in, in a non-triple hard cap system, Max Pacioretty going to the Carolina Hurricanes for what he did go to the Carolina Hurricanes for. That trade doesn't exist. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing time for, for Hurricanes fans. Golden Knights fans have to be a little bit frustrated. Um, you know, is that something, and I'm not sure if you're allowed to tell me this, is that something you guys saw coming, knew was coming, were prepared for? Or was that another one where it was a late night call and you go, okay, I guess it's a business, let's go? Um. I, I can say that uh, it was not a surprise to Max at all, and it certainly wasn't a surprise to me. Um, the word was out in NHL circles that uh, several players in Vegas were being shopped. Um, and, it, you know, they just have to look at their cap numbers and see they were millions and millions over the cap. And I think it came down to the guy with the biggest cap hit uh, with one year left on his contract, which made him out of all the players um, who were being shopped uh, the easiest to trade. Um, it's much more difficult to trade somebody right now in, in a system that's going to have a flat cap for at least the next two and maybe the next three years mm-hmm. to take on term. Everyone, every team is, is averse to taking on term on, on, on trades. So a player with one year left on his deal, even a very high cap number 
there still are teams that could uh, take on. But in reality, and, and I think Carolina was extremely savvy here. Carolina, I'm sure, and this isn't coming from them. This is just me um, postulating based on um, how I know things work behind the scenes. I'm sure Carolina knew that they were one of the only teams that could take on seven million in cap space. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you know, normally a player like Max in a different environment, there would be a first round pick attached to that, or a first round pick and a top prospect attached to that going the other way. If Carolina knows they're the only game in town and Vegas from cap mismanagement now has no choice but to trade seven million and it still leaves them a couple of million over the cap, mm-hmm. right? But at least now they have uh, some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, why would why would any team give up uh, a a first round pick or a or a top prospect? Now, if there were five teams with that kind of cap space, and there were five teams in on a Pacioretty trade. Um, then you're going to see assets coming back in return Hmm. when there's literally only one team that is in that market to take on a $7 million contract. There were some other teams that had the space, Mm -hmm. but they weren't going to spend it. Arizona is not taking on a $7 million contract, right? Unless you're giving them a lot of extra assets on top of that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's give us the contract. And what else are you going to give us to compensate us for taking the contract? That's just the fact of the where where certain teams might be at right now. Carolina had the space and there was a fit and they were one of the only ones in the whole league that were able to do that. So Carolina probably just sat there and said, you know what? We'll take the contract. We'll take, we want the player. We like the player. Mm-hmm. You know, we can make 7 million work, but you're going to, you're going to give them to us for free. And I mean, you got to imagine that there was some, um, some intent. There was a little bit of a message being delivered here. Okay. Could it have been a seventh round pick or a sixth round pick? I think Carolina intentionally said, uh-uh, we'll do this, but we're going to make it future considerations because it kind of embarrassed Vegas to have to do that and in many ways exposed their cap mismanagement. And there were several other GMs along the way that commented to me how they thought the way that trade was structured was intentional on Carolina's part. Well, Don Waddell, I have to say this as a fan, has got to be one of my favorite general managers. And and he's just, I, I'm not, and I, I don't, I can't speak to that, Alan. I have no insider knowledge on that, but I will say that he makes some pretty, pretty amazing moves. And this is one of them. And I, I wanted to turn the conversation to Max because, you know, again, another guest on the show throughout this season. And one of the things that he was so, why well, I found so interesting about him is his dedication to just like the next half a percentage of perfection, right? He is whatever can get him ahead in nutrition, whatever can get him ahead in the gym, whatever can get him ahead on the ice, he's going to do it. And the latest training method, yes. any, anything out there, I mean, nothing will get past him. He's going to analyze it all. And if there's, just as you said, if there's anything out there at all that could help him one-tenth of one percent be better he's gonna do it he's gonna find that 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 secret sauce that that code and decipher that code and go for it that's him and and so what's interesting about that is that is exactly the type of player rod brindamore was and it seems like it's exactly the type of coach rod brindamore is when it when it comes to his team known for getting the absolute best out of his team have you had a chance to talk to Max about uh, about playing in Carolina, playing for Rod, playing for a team that has a legitimate shot at the cup? 
Uh, I have, and mm-hmm. and Max is excited, and there's um, a, a great spirit amongst the players on the team, mm-hmm. and they have a uh, a coach that's respected, uh, that's a winner, and um, there is there is a lot of excitement already. And hey, let's count the days off until we get to camp and get going here, and and a fun fan base. Like so much fun. Oh yeah. And I'm going to tell you a story about uh, Ron, Rod Brindamore that uh, uh, has been uh, shared with me, never directly with Rod, but this is the story that went around uh, with players. Rod was, uh, was, was very pissed off uh, by the uh, 2004 05 lockout. Mm. And uh, when, when Carolina won the cup, Rod and, and he never told me this, but this was the story that went around mm-hmm. in, in player circles. Didn't want to pose with Gary when receiving the cup uh, at, at center ice. And, and, and if you see the actual cup presentation on the ice, uh, and I'm going from memory here. Uh, Gary had the microphone and was speaking about, um, you know, Carolina, the incredible cup run, what a wonderful uh, uh, run it was. And, and, and he was going on and, and, and Rod was standing there and Gary one time or two times under his breath, but you can pick it up in the mic uh, was saying, you know, hang on, hang on, hang on. And, uh, Finally, when Gary put the mic down and grabbed the cup, Rod grabbed the cup and turned and immediately skated uh, and put the cup over his head by himself and was like going crazy and then skated over to his teammates. Usually when there's a cup presentation, you'll see Gary holding on to the cup, the player captain holding on to the cup. And there's about 10 seconds of photos Right with all yes. the journalists, see the all the photographers on. on the ice, and then Gary releases and and he goes and, and trust me, ever since Carolina, Gary's holding that cup white knuckled. <laughs> 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 he's not letting that thing go I, because he's getting that picture. Right? I am going to look that up on YouTube now. Now I got to see that. I did not know out. that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so that'll be a, that'll be a fun fit, especially if they do win the cup, Rod will be chirping at Gary again, maybe. Um, yeah. The, the other thing, so uh, there's a, obviously there's a lot of names, but a couple of other names that came up, obviously, you know, this free agency and the draft leading up to it, you know, two years ago, you couldn't move a goalie. You couldn't, you know, you, you couldn't do anything with your goalies. Ah, nobody wanted a goalie. Everybody's good. This year, it's like 15 of them moved, something like that. And Marc-Andre Fleury did move this year, but he was one of the goalies that actually stayed put and stayed in Minnesota. And that is their guy for the next couple of years. And I, I wanted to kind of ask you about, about that because I know there were other teams circling, very interested in him. What was the ultimate decision that you can talk about where he was like, I'm, I want to stay in Minnesota and here's why? I think it came down to um, uh, a, a lot of factors that all favored Minnesota. Number one, um, Mark and, and Bill Guerin are extremely close. They're, they're friends away from the rink. They won a cup together as players um, in, in, in 09. And, and they won two more cups together with Bill in management uh, working with Pittsburgh. Um, There's, a familiarity there. There's a comfort level there. And at the end of the day, players like Mark at this stage of their career want to be somewhere where they're wanted. They want to be somewhere where, where they're appreciated. And when Mark was traded to Minnesota from the entire coaching staff to bill to um, management, to his teammates, Mark felt incredibly comfortable. He's like, these are a great bunch of guys. It's a great dressing room. 
you know, it, it was fun being around them. I can have fun here during the season. You know, the coaches are great with me. The goalie coach is awesome. You know, Bill. So he he had that familiarity. He had that comfort. And, and I think it just takes going to one place where there's a lot of drama, mm-hmm. uh, constantly swirling um, off the ice where, and, and in Vegas, no player is safe. Yes. You know, several players have made the comment now, no player is safe, right? So at any time, the rug could be pulled out from under you. And, and, and if it'll happen to Marc-Andre Fleury in Vegas, trust me, it could happen to anybody, mm-hmm. right? Who, I, I think players are, are, are ultimately going to decide maybe some are willing to play in that environment and don't care. But other players are going to value being in a place where there is a sense of loyalty and stability and appreciation that goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And I think Mark showed his good faith by signing a two-year deal um, at a number that Minnesota could work with, Mm -hmm. given the two buyouts sitting on their cap for the next several years. And, and, you know, it's just a reality. Mark made the decision that he wanted to be in Minnesota and part of it is they also wanted him. So there was a mutual feeling of, Hey, we really want you and we appreciate you and your leadership and, and the way that you approach the game and the way that you stop the puck and, and your values and your character and your integrity. And, and the feeling back was, you know, we're going, we're going to take care of you as well. And, and Alan, I want to, I want to talk about that word loyalty, because I think loyalty might be misconstrued if people are listening to it, not badly, but loyalty in a lot of ways is, is, is honesty. Is that sort of, you know, he feels like Bill couldn't be honest with him and say, this is what we need. This is what we're looking for. Right. Absolutely. That's all players want. You, this is a this is a, a business where everybody is in the business to win. Mm-hmm. Okay, decisions get made. Every decision ultimately comes down to one thing: is this going to make us better? Is this going to help us win? And anyone who thinks that decisions are made without those first two at the top of the list are naive. Right, they're just naive. Right. Because that's not the way it works. So once you get past that and understand all players want and expect is to be treated with honesty and transparency. Right. Nobody likes getting bad news, Mm -hmm. but I, I would have much more respect for people who actually have the balls to sit down with a player and say, you know what? It's not going to work out here. And we don't want to screw you. We want to work with you. You've been good to us. Let's work together in getting you somewhere else. I've had those conversations with GMs. And players I represent have had those kinds of conversations with GMs. No one has ever heard about those conversations ever. And ultimately the player gets moved and no one knows the backstory to how it all happened, but there usually is a fairly long and involved backstory to get to that point. And uh, everybody moves on Mm -hmm. and you look back at your time in a certain place and you say, you know what? I, I really didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave. I was happy there. Mm-hmm. But the team came to me. They sat me down. They talked to me about what the situation was, honestly. And then they did me right, working with me, helping me get 
into another good situation for me and my family. Who can argue with that? Versus the people that don't operate like that. There are many players who've been made promises by owners, by GMs. You know, you're going to retire here. Your family, I love you like a son. (laughs) And then a year later get traded and it's like, oh, well, oh, well, you know, it's a bit, I didn't want to do it. It's a business. Come on. Right. And and that's what it is. And that makes a lot of sense. And Alan, um, I know, you know, I, I know we got other players to talk about here, but I do want to talk about the buyout situation in Minnesota while I have you, because um, what I'm confused about as a fan, and, and maybe you can shed some light on this. I know that these, these buyouts and the buyout penalties and the contracts that Suter and Parise had signed, which are no longer legal in the NHL. I know that, um, all of this are a function of the evolving salary cap uh, between the first lockout in 2004 and then the other one in, you know, about eight years later. Um, what I don't understand is how it's good for hockey or a market like Minnesota, which is a fantastic, strong, incredible, ingrained hockey market. Incredible it, hockey market. How incredible. does it benefit? Incredible in, 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 hockey town. In a country where hockey is the fourth sport, the fifth sport, maybe? Uh, you need markets like Minnesota. How does penalizing them for the next three years with 15 million, 15 million, and I think 12 million after that, how does that help hockey? How does that help the NHL? Well, it doesn't. Um, it, it doesn't help the NHL. It doesn't help hockey. It doesn't help grow hockey. You know, what people don't realize, and, and, and we could probably do an entire show just on this. Season two. I Okay. I could break down for you, okay, going back to the beginning of Gary's reign in the NHL, back to 1991-92. I can go back. Well, actually, Gary came in in, in after the 92, after the 92 strike, because John Ziegler was there in 92. So back to 93-ish, 93-ish. the whole host of decisions that have been made um, contrary to growing revenues. And it's funny, a couple of years ago when Gary was um, um, uh, inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, um, there was a lot of talk about when he came into the league, revenues were at $450-$500 million dollars. And now it's at four point five billion, and you know now it's actually at uh, more than five point two billion. What a what a great job Gary did! And the reality is, the reality is, nothing held back the growth of revenues in the NHL more than the ridiculous, embarrassing ten year. NBC broadcast deal for peanuts. So right at the beginning of that deal being negotiated, media rights are exploding, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the new, it's the new way you saw what was going on uh, starting in the NBA and, and MLB. You've got an evolving situation where these rights are going to Pluto. So what do you do? What do you do? You go and you sign a 10-year deal locking in the broadcast rights for peanuts for 10 fucking years. Yeah. I I mean, if you want to, and if you want to see the explosion of of revenues right now in the NHL and with, with the pandemic, with empty buildings this year for some games, for for you know, first half of the year. Buildings were not full except in, you know, a few markets, Mm -hmm. but revenues have gone from 4.8 to 5.2 plus year over year. How is that possible? Well, ESPN, right? And Turner. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's how it's possible. Hmm. TV deal. I know this is not rocket science. Right. This is not rocket science. If if we would have been, uh, if hockey would have been on a platform 
okay, a, a broadcast, a national platform in the United States where people actually got the channel, you know, in their homes. Because remember, we started off in 05 with the Outdoor Life Network that morphed into Versus, that morphed into NBC Sports. This is a disaster. Yeah. Right. And and ultimately um, ended up leaving ESPN and was shut out from. I mean, when 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 ESPN does not have NHL rights, you could barely hear the name NHL, you know, on ESPN, even during the playoffs. Right. Right. NHL didn't exist on the number one media platform in the United States for all these years. So. I'm holding back my applause on uh, the great job in growing revenues because there was a time, right? There was a time in 1994, yeah. Sports Illustrated had uh, their cover, uh, the NHL's hot and the NBA's not. And, and at that time, the NHL was poised to overtake the NBA in revenues if they were able to capture that momentum, you know, and, and with a little bit of lightning in a bottle and kaboom. And it, it, it didn't happen because we had a half season lockout mm-hmm. that killed all the momentum of the Rangers winning the cup and ultimately led us to 0405 and the lost season, uh, it's still sad to see the Stanley Cup and go to that year and to see, you know, season not played mm-hmm. engraved right on the cup with a big empty block uh, because it did tremendous damage to the league, uh, to league revenues. Um, it hurt the players a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in many ways, it's only really now that the NHL is truly recovered from that abysmal business decision. Wow. Um, uh, with that, Alan, because we've got this, the list is significant. I still have more questions, but that can be for next season. Uh, Dave Perron, uh, who was uh, the first ever guest on this show. Yep. Um, and one of the most talented guys in the NHL, uh, you know, really good run with the the Blues, a tough loss against Colorado and goes to, and a lot of people were surprised by this, goes to a team in the Detroit Red Wings where, listen, they're in a tough division. There is no guarantees, uh, but he's the kind of guy that they seem to need. I see the Detroit Red Wings as uh, very much the next Tampa Bay Lightning. Hmm. I think Steve Iserman is one of the uh, shrewdest um, managers and somebody who understands how to put a team together. Uh, he and Julian Breezebois together had a model for how to build Tampa. And if you see some of the things that have been done in Detroit, they're very much following, uh, Steve is very much following the model that was put together in building Tampa to where it is. And I think um, this is the year coming up where Detroit takes that next important step and becomes a playoff team. And I think David Perron coming in, providing that veteran leadership, uh, having won a cup in St. Louis, Mm -hmm. um, being a heart and soul player, you know, who plays hard and, and, you know, nine goals in the playoffs this past year, you know, that's exactly the kind of player that Detroit needs in their development to get them where they're going. Right, right. Uh, another interesting move, and, and less was made of this because of all the other things. There's just a flurry of activity. But I thought it was interesting that Yaroslav Halak is now in New York with the, I, I don't think we call them upstart Rangers anymore, but they certainly surprised some people backing up who the guy that we probably think will take over for King Henrik as the best goalie in the NHL. Uh, in Igor Shosturkin. Um, And I know Yaro is going to be like, I'm going to challenge for that number one spot, but there's got to be, New York probably looked at him and, and forgive me if I'm, I'm wrong here and, and said, this guy 
can bring a lot of experience and help our young goaltender. Oh, for sure. And, and, and Yarrow has been a legendary Ranger killer (laughs) on any team he's ever played on. When he's cut, when he comes into MSG, he has his best games of the year. And, uh, and, and, and trust me when I tell you the, the, the people in New York in management are well aware of from Yarrow's time uh, on the island, uh, going back to St. Louis um, and, and some of the other places that he's played, uh, that uh, every time Yarrow comes into MSG, he has his best game. So I, I've asked Yarrow, is it, was it the air? It, well, what is it about MSG? And, you know, he can't really explain it, but we hope uh, we, we, we hope that kind of magic continues because mm-hmm. Yarrow's about 15 wins away from 300 wow. in his career. That's uh, a real important milestone uh, to him. And uh, this could be the year that he gets gets to that magic number. Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, uh, a, a, a great contract for a guy that deserves it, but it's got to be tough to leave a team that made the Stanley Cup Finals three years in a row and won two of them. Yan Ruda gets to play with Sidney Crosby and Gino and Chris Letang in Pittsburgh. Um, uh, you know, again, another move that you go, well, that's a really smart move by them, and no one's paying attention to it because of the turnover. There's been some massive names um, what was, can you tell us a little bit behind the scenes about what happened there and, and why ultimately Pittsburgh? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we had some great conversations with Julian. Um, um, Yan spoke with Julian directly. I talked to Julian. Uh, this was strictly a matter of, um, limited cap space mm-hmm. that was available and there was, uh, only certain amounts of money, um, uh, that would fit into the slot um, in their lineup. Mm-hmm. And uh, quite frankly, Yen played at such a high level last year with his um, uh, partnership with Victor Hedman for many games, uh, going plus 26. Um, uh, n- not... There, there were not a lot of right shot defensemen on the free agent market. If mm-hmm. there was one position where players were in the most demand, it was right shot defensemen. It just the list of available players as free agents was not very deep. Yan had, uh, through his his hard work and his performance, mm-hmm. had unfortunately priced himself out of being able to. Uh, stay in Tampa. I mean, he yeah. uh, more than doubled, more than doubled his salary. Yeah. And, and, and while he signed with Pittsburgh, there were multiple offers for him at, you know, at and around the same numbers and term and, and Yan chose Pittsburgh um, as the best opportunity uh, for living and and obviously for hockey, right? Uh, so that was all very important to him. Yeah, and it's a great place to live. My mom's from Pittsburgh. Uh, great place to live. Uh, great place to raise a family. I'm not sure if he's got a family, but one of those just awesome spots, and everybody's great. So, um, congrats to him on that. Uh, the King Deming also ending up in New York. I go. We have to mention Louis Deming uh, because he had such a. I mean, he was he was the quote of the playoffs with uh, what he ate for uh, dinner the night before when he was playing, but. Um, why New York? And, and I know, uh, you've told me off camera, he's one of the most competitive guys you've ever spoken with. He's incredibly competitive. He's, he's very intelligent. He's got lots of different layers to his personality. He's a real good person mm-hmm. and, and he, and he's a great goalie. Yes. So, uh, you know, lots of teams learned, uh, last season, how important it is to have, uh, multiple goalies in the organization who could step in and play. Mm-hmm. You know, Louie happened to come off the bench after sitting for four and a half hours uh, directly into the second overtime of a critical playoff game and uh, ended up making 17 saves off the bench 
several brilliant saves uh, in 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 that game, right? So uh, having a a Louis Domingue in your organization is a very valuable thing. Yeah, and uh, and New York made um, um, a lot of sense and was the best uh, option out of several other very good options that were out there. Uh, two more guys I want to ask you about because there were a lot. Martin Furk, moving on. Steve Dangle's favorite player. He made me ask. He, he had to talk about Martin Furk going to St. Louis. Uh, hardest shot in either the NHL or the AHL. Probably might. I mean, hardest shot in the world. Is that a hard? Is, is that a claim? I believe it's make? the hardest shot ever recorded in the history of hockey. Okay. At one hundred and nine point two miles an hour. <laughs> so. So obviously, Doug Armstrong, who was on this show, uh, fantastic uh, and very open interview because Doug is normally quite quiet when it comes to the press. Uh, what do you think that Doug likes in Martin? Uh, I, th- I think uh, Doug is really intrigued by the offense mm-hmm. and uh, wonders uh, what Martin can do on his power play. And they have uh, nine preseason games uh, and that was a factor because Martin is going to get a chance to come in and and play on one of the two power play units in preseason and uh, use his shot and uh, and and show what he can do um, at even strength uh, and and see if there's a fit and earn a spot on the on the big team. OK, well, that's good. It's exciting for him. And lastly. Um, and I, and I got to, I got the special opportunity to, to meet his family with you in Montreal, Alan, uh, because you kindly brought them to our event, which was really, really cool to have you there. Uh, can you speak to your pride in seeing David Juracek go to the Columbus Blue Jackets six overall? Yeah, he's, he's such a, a, a good kid. He's soaking up everything like a sponge. He comes from an amazing family as you well know, as yes. we sat around together for a little bit and had uh, uh, some great conversation, um, uh, he is he is very close to being NHL ready at at his age, at his young age, and I think he's going to come in and compete for a roster spot. Columbus has shown they're not shy to. Keep a young defenseman on their blue line if he's good enough to play there. Um, it's going to be really, really interesting. But uh, he's he's a young player that that he works incredibly hard off the ice, and he's worked really hard in rehabbing his knee injury and get to the point where he was able to come back and play in the World Championships before the end of the season mm-hmm. for Czech Republic. And uh, he's now going to play with Czechia on the world junior team uh, that's coming over in in a week to Edmonton and will be on that world junior team in in August. So we'll get the chance to see him hopefully play the entire tournament. Yes. Yes. As opposed to just a couple of games. And uh, and we'll take it from there one step at a time. And, you know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of people in the hockey media grumbling about this. The the uh, the Halinka tournament's up soon. Uh, the World Juniors start soon. There is no uh, there is no offseason this year if you're in hockey. Uh, it's just a it's just a 12 month cycle this year. That's what it's going to be. Absolutely. Um, Alan, uh, and it's always 12 months for you. Let's be honest. <laughs> so so, Alan, listen, you know, this is the end of the first season of Agent Provocateur. And and I, I have to ask you, um, favorite memories? Do you have anything that sticks out where you go, man, that was special? Um, I, I think every episode had an element of, of, of this is something memorable to me, mm-hmm. um, whether it was uh, starting off with David Perron um, or having... Uh, Mark Andre Fleury on mm-hmm. and talk about some of the things that nobody ever knew about before. Um, having Max on, um, it, it's certainly a different um, experience having clients on that I know so well for so many years and being able to talk. You know, Jonathan Huberto was sitting out in his uh, backyard um, yes. just before heading out to the All Star Game where we we're going to be together. Um, that was a lot. That was a lot of fun. Um, 
So those were all very memorable. I think there are some, you know, personal moments for me having Max Weinberg on from the East Street Band was um, uh, <laughs> some people commented that uh, I smiled from beginning to end and yes. couldn't get that smile off my face. <laughs> that was really important. I think uh, um, one of the ultimate highlights of the first season was having my idol on uh, Ken Dryden um, and talk about a, a very serious topic that uh, we both have great passion in, and that's uh, uh, CTE, player safety, and and an actionable item or items on how to make the game safer, how the rules should be modified uh, to change player behavior, mm-hmm. uh, to protect players' brains. And I think that was a, a very important episode to me and to be able to um, advocate with Ken Dryden together was something uh, that was very special about the first season. Um, Having Bill Hodgman on to talk about the OJ Simpson case and some of his other cases and revisit some of my time as a district attorney, as a prosecutor in the hardcore gang division and and share some stories together about um, our relationship uh, and the years that we go back together and uh, and and revisit a little bit. My time as a trial lawyer was very special. And uh, I got a lot of feedback from people who really enjoyed hearing from Bill, who have great memories of uh, the Simpson trial and watching it and following it every day. And a lot of memories came rushing back about some of the facts of the case and so forth that we discussed. So I think that was really good. I think having Boko Imam on, Mm-hmm. And talk about his journey was was something that was uh, uh, very special to me. And Boko is an incredible person um, with an incredible story of, of his life so far. Uh, and the fact that he got to you know play in the NHL, score his first NHL goal this past season. Uh, and the best is yet to come. Um, so I think all of those uh, guests and experiences were... Um, memorable. Mm-hmm. They, they, they stand out. And I have uh, a lot of ideas swirling about uh, next season, uh, which, you know, probably means that, uh, you know, we're going to have uh, some laughs. We're going to learn a little bit mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, and, and approach some danger zones. You know, I think on the business side, having Frank Zecca on yeah. uh, this past year to talk about, um, athletes and financial management um, opened a whole window into what goes on behind the scenes that pe- many people had not been exposed to before mm-hmm. that they found really interesting. Having Paul Gagne on, who talked about um, you know training and rehabbing injuries and strength and conditioning and so forth, um, uh, a holistic approach to taking care of your body in season, out of season, uh, through nutrition and 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 training and all the things that we discussed that that episode was uh, uh, really important. I think any parent um, with young hockey players should watch the episode with Paul and can learn some very important things about do's and don'ts with regard to to their kids. I think young hockey players or even professional players can learn a lot from Paul. Mm-hmm. In, in in that regard. So those are the things that really stood out for me. What about you? Well, I think that the the one interview that um uh that really inspired me was Sean Dersey. You know, yep. his, his story is uh and I if you haven't heard it yet, uh you've got to go back and listen. Here's a guy that just will not, no matter what life throws at him, will not stop, will not um, cease until he gets to his maximum potential and probably, you know, wins a cup because LA's LA is looking good, man. It's just crazy. Um, it's a, uh, uh, Sean's story, I think, um, is the one that, that hit me, uh, Boko Mama's story growing up in, in, in the way he did and oftentimes being the only black player and, 
you know, there are some stories in there that are, you're, you just, you're kind of, your heart goes out to them and then you would have to admire the strength. Um, and, you know, of course it was fun to hear Mark andre Fleury and, and t- discussing how he pranked people who didn't, he didn't even know who were having a wedding next door at a hotel during the Stanley Cup finals. You know, you just have those moments where you kind of go, wow, this is, I can't believe that I'm sitting on this, uh, uh, you know, on this podcast, listening to these guys tell these stories. So, um, you know, for me, it was kind of great. And you know what, Alan? been a real uh, pleasure working with you. You know, I mean, I think the thing that that uh, that I'll tell you about Alan Walsh, I'm going to talk about him if he's not here, is he comes every show ready to go, direction in mind. Here's what we're going to do. This is the way I want to handle it. And uh, this is the message I want to get across to people because it's important. You know, obviously, there are episodes here where we do um, fun interviews. Marc-Andre Fleury, David Braun, just so much fun. Pacioretty was fascinating, right? Just just to the detail, like that he's the guy that read between the lines and then read be- reads between those lines. He's so, uh, and I love getting that scope of who his character is and that sort of thing. But I also, uh, when we talk to uh, Frank Zeck about money, I, I reference that episode all the time on the Steve Dangle podcast. I talk about it. So, you know, we were talking about like, I don't know, a kid, um, an Austin Matthews type contract, right? In Canadian dollars, that's worth like 14 million uh, and we were like, okay, well, how much does it take home? So I think back to the, the Frank Zeck episode, well, it's about 30%. So that's about 5 million bucks Canadian. That's, that's, and in that episode, I go back to as a host all the time, uh, because it is, it was such a fascinating way to frame how these contracts are signed. So every time I see these contracts signed, Alan, I think about Frank and I go, okay, well, that's about uh, that much take home and he's going to have to invest this properly. And, uh, anyway, long story short, I think, um, I think those episodes stood out the most to me, but if I were to say one, it'd have to be Sean Dursey. That episode was really some of the most inspiring stuff and you cannot help but fall in love and root for a guy like that. Yeah. His, his ability to overcome adversity and his approach to adversity is second to none. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Overage draft injuries traded from the Leafs, the team that he grew up loving, watching, um, you know, just just uh, uh, clawing his way onto the L.A. roster and being as good as he is. It's it's amazing. So, Alan, I, I want to congratulate you on season one. You made it, <laughs> which is something that you when we talked on the phone the first time, you were not sure that we could make it even this far. And, and so I want to say um, you did an amazing job for somebody who is not a trained broadcaster. Uh, we always knew you were a great storyteller, uh, but that doesn't always translate in front of a microphone and in front of a camera. And uh, you, you, it was a great season. And I just want to say thank you so much for your contribution to our little network and for believing in us as well. Well, let me and then let me have my turn now and say that uh, from our first conversation when I was on the beach uh, in July in Ventura County uh, to where we are today, uh, my uh, work with you, my interactions with you um, have been first class in every single way. It's a pleasure when when I know we're recording and I'm going to get to spend some time with you uh, like this. But we also got together in Toronto and had a great dinner with wow. each other, uh, with Jesse, with Steve. Um, got together in Montreal and spent some time together um, after the draft. Um, all of you guys, you know, Jesse and Steve and you, it's just um, a whole new world has opened up for me uh, with people to work with professionally, but also as friends. Mm -hmm. And I admire how much the network has grown in just the last year and knowing some of the plans going forward um, that I'll leave to you guys to announce uh, when when you're ready to announce something special, um, your little network, as you described it, is 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 more than just a little engine that could. You guys are onto something big, and uh, I'm just uh, very honored and privileged to be part of it. I'm the the small part of it to what you guys are building, and uh, and I I know. Um, your goals, your, your dreams, and, uh, I wish them all for you. Thank you. 
Thank you for saying that. And he's going to hate that we're going to do this. But Alan, we got to bring Jesse on. Uh, got to bring Jesse on. He's the producer of the show. Jesse, can you turn your camera on and edit this in for God's sakes? Jesse Let's Blake. give a hand there to Jesse Blake. <laughs> I don't need this. <laughs> Jesse Blake, who's got to listen to all of our conversation on air and off, uh, has been here for every recording session, obviously. Um, Jesse, you're the best. We love you. Oh, thank you. It's a privilege to sit on with just like people who are so esteemed in the hockey world, you know, like Adam, you were mentioning it just, oh, you're sitting there with uh, patches, you know, and you're hearing these stories. Alan, that's due to your connections, you know, in the hockey world. And yeah, it's been a privilege to produce this podcast for the first season. All right. We'll be back. Well, on to season two. That's right. (laughs) We don't have a release date yet, but we know we're going to take the month off at least Everybody's going to have their summer, and then we're coming back with season two. Uh, Alan Walsh, congratulations again on Agent Provocateur season one, my friend. Thank you. (laughs) And thanks so much. I guess we'll wrap it up here. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank everybody for watching, listening, for uh, taking our show that started when Adam called me on the beach last uh, June, July, uh, to here we are now. I hope we've made you laugh. I hope we've given you some things to think about. I hope we've told some really interesting stories about things that have happened behind the scenes. Uh, I hope you've learned a little bit about uh, player safety, um, athlete management, and the life of an agent. And uh, I don't take anything for granted This has just been a really fun project for me. I have a lot of ideas on where we can take this in the future with Adam and Jesse and Steve. So let's keep having fun together. Let's do it. This has been Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wilde. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's sportsbook. Follow Alan Walsh on Twitter at Walsh A. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching Agent Provocateur and hitting the subscribe button. YouTube.com slash SDPN. 